0: All right, and we are back for another edition of Exploring Faith, Pursuing Grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass. And today is the day you have all been waiting for, or I should say more appropriately, this week is the week you have all been waiting for. As of the release of this podcast, Kevin's book is out. Folks, the time has finally come. It is no longer something that he is working on. It is no longer something that he is working to get finished up. You've heard it referenced on this podcast over and over again, where Kevin has said, well, in my book, I talk about this. And in my book, I mentioned that. And this is something that I cover in my book. You can read about that in more detail. Folks, you can read about it now. It is available on Amazon in paperback. It is available on Kindle as well for purchase. If you have Kindle Unlimited, it is available at no cost as well.
1: And now people will know what I'm talking about. So when I say I talk about this in my book, people will be able to go, Yeah, I've read that. I know exactly what he's talking about.
0: Yeah, they can pick it up. They can reference it for <laughs> themselves. But, brother, I know you're excited to have this book released. I know. I'm excited to get my paperback copy in hand and look at it, and I really appreciate that you have shared your book as it has evolved with me. You've shared early drafts with me. You've shared chapters with me. You shared working final drafts with me. You shared the final draft with me before it was released, the, the one that went to the publisher. You sent me a PDF of that, and I was able to read through it before it came out, and I'm excited to read through it again when I get my paperback copy in hand. Dude, I'm stoked to get it, and I know you're excited to have it released.
1: I am, man. And it is very different from the first original copy. In fact, I went through a lot of of, of drafts and copies and re, I, re, I rewrote a lot of it, quite frankly, because I really wanted to make sure that this is going to be something beneficial to everybody. And there were things that I first included in the book that I thought, well, maybe this isn't necessary at this point in time. And this is something that I can discuss later. And so I, I really just went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's why it's taken so long, because I wanted to make sure that the final copy is something that I was happy with. I didn't want to just yeah. rush it to to the publisher. I wanted to go ahead and make sure that uh, that it is the way I wanted it to be. And so I'm very happy with the final product. And it's a book that I wish I would have had when I first started questioning and going through a lot of that deconstruction or deprogramming or detoxification Um, whatever we want to call it. But it's one of those things that I wish I had to not only go through that, but also to give me better footing on how to go forward with the Bible.
0: One of the things that I really appreciate is that level of polish that you've given the book because you didn't want to just put it out there quickly. You know, There's a lot of changes that happen between those early working drafts to that final draft. Um, Much of the content is the same. You shuffled the deck and moved some things around. There are some things that you omitted and took out completely. There are other things that you added that weren't in those first drafts, but it's a very polished final product. It's a very easy read. It's very understandable and to take a con to take a a subject like this and to have content that is easy to access and that's easy to understand on a subject that is as deep as what this is uh, my hat's off to you you did you accomplish your mission in my opinion in spades you did you did a fantastic job one of the things that we have done in discussing the book we generated some buzz for it And that really wasn't the intention. We're just having conversation on our podcast like we usually do, but a lot of people are excited to receive it. Um, there are several endorsements that have been given to your book. Brian McLaren, a, a very well-known theologian and and author, he gave an endorsement for your book. He read it. Um, we have we've had multiple guests on our show that have given endorsements for your book. People that are bona fide Bible scholars, and for them to read the book and to unanimously say, "Yep, Kevin, you you accomplish your mission and you hit the nail on the head here," I think that's pretty high praise coming from the variety of people that have endorsed the the work you've done here.
1: That's the key word, variety. Because when I studied and researched for this book, I wanted to make sure that I was not doing so in a vacuum. And you and I all the time, we talk about how it's easy to get in a theological vacuum and you're in this echo chamber where you're only hearing what you've always been taught and you're only talking to people who've studied the way that you've studied And who've reached the same conclusions you've had and in doing that you really limit yourself and my goal was to first of all make sure when i was researching for this book that i was looking at both liberal scholarship and very conservative scholarship and everything in between and that includes non-christians that includes christians that includes protestants that includes non-protestants i wanted to make sure that i did my research And that's that to me was very important that this isn't just a book of my thoughts or this isn't something that I just kind of made up in my mind and thought it sounded good. So I thought I would put pen to paper and and sell a a book. I wanted to make sure that the research was thorough, but more importantly than that, that it was accurate. And I'm so thankful to have those endorsements, um, you know, with with Brian McLaren, for example. I mean, he he was. He was nice enough, kind enough to read my book and then also give it an endorsement. And you know, Brian is awesome. I mean, he is—he is a fantastic guy. He's a—he's a great Bible student. He's a wise man. Um, and so many people were willing to read this book for me and and give their endorsement to it. Um, even a, a friend of mine, Greg Lee, who is a—you know—he's a writer, producer, and actor. If you ever watch the daytime show game show where in the world is Carmen San Diego. When you grew up in, if you grew up in the nineties as a kid, or maybe you watched reruns later, but he was the host of that show. He also was on some other uh, shows. He voiced a lot of cartoons. He was uh, on the Nickelodeon show, Doug. And, you know, he actually grew up in the churches of Christ and was a minister. A lot of people don't realize this, but that's what he did prior to becoming a writer and producer and actor. And so even, You know, guys like this are willing to endorse the book. But then on the other side of the spectrum, just true biblical scholarship. David, uh, Dr. David Artman is willing to endorse this book. Scott Lloyd, who he is a debate professor and he's a specialist in the field of communication. And that's what he does for a living. And 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 really my I would say I'm not going to say favorites, but (laughs) uh, Dr. Linda King, who is the one who wrote the Ford to my book. And I always joke and say that she has more degrees than a thermometer. Uh, but she, <laughs> she does though. <laughs> she, she is, is absolutely phenomenal. And this is, this is something else that's important to me because one of the things that I heard when I was still very conservative is that the only people who change are young people. And this is just a fad. This is just a phase. People are just wanting the next new thing. The majority of the people that I surrounded myself with when I was riding and afterwards when I was getting them to look over are people who are very seasoned. Yeah. Um, Those who are in their 60s, 70s, even 80s. And yes, I, I talked to a lot of my contemporaries as far as age is concerned, and even those who are younger. I even spoke to some teenagers during this this uh, you know kind of ongoing research. And so I, I just tried to cover the whole spectrum. But I want to point out that most of the people that I'm listening to and learning from are not people who are just my age, but these are people who have studied the Bible most of their lives and uh, they most of their lives are not just a you know 20 30 40 years but 60 70 80 years and, and that was important to me as well. I didn't, didn't want to just go to people who looked like me, who thought like me, who are my same age. I wanted to go and talk to just a variety of people. And so all of those endorsements, it, it, they, they mean the world. And then also, of course, even endorsements from Baptist ministers and Episcopal ministers and many, many members of the Churches of Christ and ministers and deacons in the Churches of Christ, Dr. Alan Baggett. He is a doctor, but he's, he's a medical doctor. Um, so as far as scholarships concerned on, you know, specialist in the types of things I talked about, that's that's not what he is. But he is a deacon in the Churches of Christ as well. And he's just got a brilliant mind and uh, he's studied a lot in confirmation bias and those types of things. And so I, I've even spoken to psychologists. I just really wanted to make sure that I was doing my research
0: properly. I well, not this book. Well, and I think that really comes out in the book. I think it's obvious. I think it'll be obvious to anybody that's familiar with the work we do on this program. Whenever they pick up your book and read it, that's, that's going to come out in it. Uh, it people are going to see that. I think people that have listened to our podcast and people that know you know you well enough to know your character. And you're not going to want to rush anything out. You're not just going to want to throw something out there haphazardly. And you're also going to take the advice that you're given from these scholars and from these other folks whenever you're checking in with them and you're asking questions about this or that or whatever else. You're doing your due diligence. And I, I think that shines through beautifully. One of the things that's really interesting to me about the book though, is the title blinded by the Bible. And that's one of the things we mention on this podcast over and over again. You talk about old sermon titles you've given, bro. You have got a knack for titles. Like you've got a knack for being able to name things. You come up with some catchy, catchy titles. I mean, even your first book had a catchy title, you know, a different kind of poison, how legalism destroys grace, brother, like that. That's an eye catcher and blinded by the Bible that's going to catch some attention as well. So, like where did where did that title originate from? Like <laughs> like what made you land on that one in it's, particular?
1: It's funny because I was actually uh, having lunch with my mom the other day and we were talking about it and I was letting her know that the book's out and she said, "Son, blinded by the Bible and, and you've got to know who she is because you know, strong southern accent and she's like, "Blinded by the Bible, son." And she's like What does that mean? (laughs) And uh, you know, I think it's important to you know, when I put a title like this out there, it's not to be antagonistic, it is to be thought provoking. Yeah. And when people hear blinded by the Bible, they may think, well, this is like an anti-Christian book, or this is a book written by a dis you know, disgruntled Christian who's now an atheist or something like that. And that could not be further from the truth. Blinded by the Bible really that mode that title came from john five thirty nine, where jesus told some of these elitist jewish leaders that they search the scriptures for in them they think they have eternal life but it is they that testify of me and so jesus was letting them know that look you are these elite top rank jewish leaders who know the bible The and and for right at that point, I'm using the Bible to speak of the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament scriptures. You know the scriptures very well. You have them memorized. You you've studied them, but you don't realize that those scriptures point to me. And so we can become so consumed in our pursuit of the scriptures that we forget it's all about Jesus. And so that's where that inspiration came from. And then coupled with what Jesus says about some of the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 15 and Matthew 23, where he calls them blind. He says that they're blind. Well, wait a minute. These are the religious elite. These are the ones who knew and and at that point know the scriptures very well. So how can we say that they are blinded? Well, because they were blinded by the scriptures. Now, was it actually the scriptures that they were blinded by? No, and, and that's why I, uh, I make this point clear in my book that it's not actually the Bible per se that can blind us. It's our expectations. It is our presuppositions. It's our interpretations, our applications of Scripture that ends up blinding us. But I think it is fair to say that we can be blinded by the Bible when we miss Jesus, just like many of those scribes and Pharisees and, and elite Jewish leaders were.
0: Well, I think that right there is the crux of the issue, and that's what we have discussed at length over and over and over and over and over again on our podcast is the dangers of – becoming so entrenched with our worldview that we fail to realize the lenses through which we're we're viewing scripture. Because it's not just like you said, I think you put it beautifully. It's not the Bible itself that we're blinded by. It's our interpretation of it. It's how we read it. It's how we apply it. It's how we've been taught to read it and how we've been taught to apply it. And much like the title can come across blinded by the Bible as potentially anti-Christian, you have a subtitle for your book, uh, I guess a secondary title, a tagline. And I really like the tagline because I think the tagline eliminates some of that fear. Oh, well, this is a book that's anti-Bible. Well, no, it's not. Rethinking our relationship with scripture. And I really like the way you turn that phrase because... It's not something that I'd really ever considered before, but the way we read scripture and the way we allow scripture to direct our lives, if we do that, because there are some people that are not believers, they don't allow scripture to direct our lives. But for those of us that do, for those of us who love the scripture, who love the Bible, who read the Bible, we do have a relationship with it. and. What ways? What what do you mean by rethinking our relationship with Scripture? Like, how would you? I know you've talked to me about this before, but Mm -hmm. I'd like for you to describe that to our audience too. In what way does that need to be rethought?
1: Well, expectation drives approach. Yeah, anything we do in life—that's not just the Bible, but to anything we ever will do in life, our expectation going in is what's going to ultimately drive our approach, and the same is true with the Bible. So when we have been given a specific expectation of the Bible, that's going to drive the way we approach it. That's going to drive the way we read it, interpret it, and apply it. There's no doubt about that. And the reason why I put rethinking our relationship with Scripture, and I'll talk about what uh, I think we need to be rethinking, but before I even get into that, explaining what I believe that, that method of interpreting scripture, or reading the Bible, what what needs to be rethought. This is the way that I put it as far as why I think we need to look at scripture as a relationship, because <laughs> a lot of people don't put it in those terms. I don't think of scripture as a relationship. This is the way I explain it. This is the illustration I like to use when I talk about this. If I'm about to let's say that I'm a single guy and I'm not, I'm very happily married. I love you, Bethany. But let's say I'm a single guy. <laughs> And I am going out on a date with a young lady. And I have a friend who's a mutual friend. And uh, the friend knows me. The friend knows this uh, young lady. And he tells me all about her. He says, okay, this is what she likes. This is what she doesn't like. These are her pet peeves, and he's trying to give me advice. All right. Like he's he's doing his the best he can to help me so that yeah. I can have a successful date.
0: As a good wingman does. As
1: a good wingman does. And so he gives me all of these expectations. And I go on the date, and I always already have these presuppositions in mind because someone told me this is what I should expect out of this, this date tonight. And so I really don't think much of it because it's the first date. And on first dates, you know, you're, you're, you're typically not really thinking too deeply about anything. You're just there to get to know the person and, and it's more casual. And so I, I go with these expectations. Then I have another date and then I have another date and a few weeks goes by and then even a few months goes by. and Now I start to get to, to talk to her a little bit more, start to finally spend some time with her more than just dinner more than just going out and having fun or going to the movies. It starts to get a little little more serious. And at that point, I begin to realize that the expectations that I had placed upon her because of what my friend told me are really not that accurate. (laughs) Yeah, I'm starting to see that she's not meeting those expectations that I thought she was going to meet. In both positive and negative ways. It it goes both ways. And so during this time, I'm having to reconcile, well, what am I going to do in this relationship? Because I went into this relationship thinking this is how it was going to go. And now that I'm deeper into this relationship, I realize this isn't really the person I thought she was. Now, in a real-life relationship, I have three options, basically. The first option is... I can just break up with her. <laughs> I can say, "Look, I thought you were somebody else based upon what my friend said, and I had these expectations. And I'm sorry you didn't meet those expectations. So we we need to move on. I can break up and just be done with it." Number two, I can be manipulative and think, "Okay, well, she doesn't currently meet these expectations, but maybe I can kind of coerce her into these expectations, and she can, she can, she can maybe uh, I can kind of shoehorn." her into the person I want her to be. And we would call that a, a, that person. I would be a, a narcissistic manipulator. And that would probably end up in some form of abuse, whether physical abuse or emotional abuse, maybe yeah. even both um, Or the third option is I can stay in the relationship, but I can change my expectations and realize that I was the one who had these faulty expectations. But now that I know who she really is, I can love her for her. And begin to change my expectations so that we can have a healthier relationship. Now you probably see where I'm going with this, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, it's pretty clear.
1: So this, so, so, I hope so. If not, this is, you know, I, I need to, to give up talking. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I really think this is a good illustration.
0: It is. It I have is. Some bad
1: illustrations, but I like to think this is a clear illustration. I think the same is true with the Bible. When it comes to the scriptures, so many of us growing up or when we converted to Christianity, if, if perhaps we didn't grow up in a Christian home, we were told by a well-meaning friend or maybe a pastor, preacher, elder, acquaintance, co-worker, this is how you're supposed to read the Bible. Growing up, we really just were given uh, we weren't even really given an option we were just given this uh, a specific way of handling the bible and giving these expectations if you grew up in a christian home you yeah we're told this
0: is the framework yeah, this, is the this is how you read the bible this is what it means yeah
1: you don't even think to question this is just the way you were taught to to understand it so for a lot of christians um they begin to get more in depth with scripture they begin to go on second and third and fourth dates and their relationship moves outside of this superficial relationship into a more in-depth relationship. And in doing so, they begin to see that the Bible really doesn't act and behave the way that they were taught it's supposed to. And at that point, usually it causes a crisis of faith. And, you know, once again, you can do one or three things. A lot of Christians at that point, they break up with the Bible. They, they dump the Bible. They go, look, I was told this is what you were supposed to do. You're not doing this. And so therefore, you're not, the, you're not the Bible. You're not the text that I want to be in a relationship with. So you end up breaking up with it completely. And that's really what we see happening right now. We see so many people leaving their faith because they were taught a specific way of how they're supposed to view the Bible. And it's simply not matching up. And so they end up breaking up with Scripture. On the other hand, you have a lot of Christians who they want to remain a Christian, and so when they do see some of these inconsistencies with the Scripture versus the way they were taught to view the Scripture, they just ignore it, and they continue on in the relationship. They dismiss it, and they continue on in the relationship, and then they end up having an abusive relationship with Scripture because they're no longer taking the Bible on its own terms. They're forcing the Bible into a mold that they want it to fit into, yeah. not the mold that it actually does fit into. And so they they begin to abuse the Bible. They are now in a, an abusive relationship with the Bible. I think the third option is the best option, of course, and it's the option I present in my book, and it's the subtitle, which is, we let's rethink our relationship with Scripture. If I'm in a relationship and I realize that they are not meeting the expectations I was told they were supposed to meet, Instead of breaking up, instead of being in an abusive relationship and trying to make that person or make the text what I want it to be, I simply need to adapt my expectations to what it is, not to what I wish it was. And that is what my book sets out to do, is let's take the Bible on its own terms. Let's quit trying to shoehorn it into our modern sensitivities. Let's quit trying... To make it fit the mold we want it to fit, and let's just take it on its own terms before we begin to go out and apply it.
0: Well, that whenever you put it that way, it's it's so clear. Whenever you put it that way, it's it's it, it just becomes obvious. And for those of us that have been in an, in an abusive relationship with Scripture, I really like that turn of phrase, and I like how you describe that because I think that fits very very well. To me, it's obvious. To you, it's obvious. This is an approach to Scripture that does not serve Scripture well. This is an approach to Scripture in, in which we have foisted our own expectations upon it, and it may not even be our expectations. It may be the inherited expectations that we have. It's you know those expectations of what the Bible is and how it functions and how it's to be read and how it's to be applied. Those are not always things, like you said earlier, that we just come up with on our own. Oftentimes we have no choice in the matter. We are presented with a series of propositions, and maybe they're not presented as a series of propositions, but it's this this subconscious thing under the surface where we are told this is what the Bible is, this is how you read it, this is how you interact with it, and this is how you apply it. And whenever that happens— I mean, of course that approach to Scripture needs to be rethought because it ends with division. The fruit that it bears is not good fruit.
1: Well, and that that relationship—and I define this in the book as well—because keep in mind, I used to be a, a former uh, formal debater— And so because of that, I wanted to make sure that I'm properly defining my terms (laughs) and that I'm really making it clear on what I'm talking about and what I'm not talking about and the type of relationship that I think we need to rethink. In fact, I think it's essential that we rethink is what I have called the straightforward and unambiguous approach to scripture. Now, some people call it biblicism. Some people call it fundamentalism or the fundamentalist approach, but it is this idea that scripture is simple and straightforward. And it's any approach that can be reflected in the phrase, the Bible says it, that settles it, or the Bible says it, I yeah. believe it, that settles it. And, it's it's oversimplified, it's superficial, it's modernized, it's domesticated. There's a lot of descriptions we could call it. But if you have ever approached the Bible thinking, well, you just go to the Bible and you do what it says, that's the approach that needs to be rethought. That right there, the approach that has really defined Christianity, at least in America, for... And really, ever since its conception, to be honest, but especially over the past couple hundred years, and I would say really the past hundred years, um, and I get into this a little bit when I get into the definition of inspiration and um, you know how different inspira- different definitions came to be and and why different people view the Bible in certain ways. I, I do get into that in my book, but the point is, is that. This is a modernized way of viewing scripture by and large. This idea that you go to the Bible and you just do what it says. And I have a quote here um, from my book that kind of encompasses... And encapsulate encapsulates everything that I'm talking about with this approach, I put this can really be highlighted in our individualistic society where the Bible is almost viewed like a magic eight ball or fortune cookie. That is to say, many Christians want a simple and straightforward answer to their questions. Since many Christians have been taught to approach the Bible in this way, some Christians even feel entitled to a simple and direct answer from Scripture. Thus, any conclusion that cannot be derived quickly and clearly is dismissed as being too complicated and unbiblical. Depth and complexity, thus, are often traded for shallowness and oversimplification. And that really describes the approach to Scripture that I had for many years. You just just go to the Bible and you do what it says. And we, we, we talk in this way that is as if the Bible is supposed to be a Christian manual. As if the Bible is supposed to be this legislation that is just pointed out in black and white, and you just go, you open, a, uh, you know, you open up the manual and you do what it says. But that's not how the Bible operates. And the reason why these types of approaches, this these overly simplistic approaches to Scripture, the reasons why they need to be rethought, is is first of all, the Bible was not written that way. And it was not; it's not written to any of us living today, anyway. So the Bible is not a book that was ever written to Kevin Pintergrass. It was never yeah. written to me. It was never written to you, Lee. We can say the Bible was written for us to an extent, and I think even that we have to be very careful with. Agree. We, can, we cannot say that it was written to us. And in the book, I discuss how the Bible is a book of cultural accommodation, situational accommodation, literary accommodation. Trajectorial Accommodation, and Authorial Accommodation. And if you want to know everything that that means, please go ahead and get the book. (laughs) If you can't afford it, I'll send you a free PDF copy. But it's my conviction that the Bible must be approached according to its own terms. And so what I'm proposing here, I would hope, is not all that groundbreaking. It's simply saying, why don't we take the Bible on its own terms? Let's look at how the Bible functions, and let's look at how the Bible treats itself internally and relates to itself, and then let's make sure that we're treating the Bible in the proper way, not in a modernized way not in this domesticated way where we say well no 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 the bible needs to needs to act in this way. In fact, Lee, I'm sure you've gotten into conversations like this. I used to have conversations like this when I was on the other side of this issue where I would tell people, well if you just can't go to the bible really you know, really quickly and give me a book, chapter and verse then you don't have the 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 god on your side. You don't have scripture on your side. We actually like have imposed that as an expectation and so if someone yeah. says well Look, it's not that simple. We have to sit down and I, I want to, you know, we we need to have more than a 30 second conversation. People, oh, well no, 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 if it's that difficult, then it can't be true. If it's that complex, then it can't be true. So what we do is we basically make, we dumb it down to the most simplistic answer must be the correct answer on everything. And so the you know, what ends up happening is that oftentimes who ends up leading the way, in, in these conversations, unfortunately, are those who have not spent a lot of time digging deep into Scripture. They may know what Scripture says, but they don't really understand what it means. They don't have a basis of the context. They don't have an understanding of the culture at that time or the civilizations that the Bible was written in and the time periods in which it was written and the surrounding context. They, they don't have a clue And then they'll say, well, I don't have to because God just gave me this book and it's simple to understand. B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Just read the Bible. I I saw a woman who had a shirt on um, at an amusement park and she said, uh, you know, y'all need to read your Bible. Okay, what part? The part that says go out and kill a bunch of people? What part do you want me to read? <laughs> the part that says it's wrong to mix two fabrics, two different types of fabrics together? The part that says anoint your uh, you know, head with oil? The point that says greet you with a holy kiss? What do you want me to do? And we, we act as if the Bible doesn't need any further explanation. And I've even heard preachers say the Bible doesn't need explanation. Just the Bible is its own best commentary. First of all, I don't necessarily disagree with that, but what does that mean? What does yeah. that what do you mean the Bible's its own best
0: commentary? There are assumptions baked into that statement
1: <laughs> yeah and 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 so what they mean oftentimes is, well, you just go to the Bible and the Bible only. And when you I was having a conversation with a with an elder um in the Churches of Christ a while back, and we were talking about a specific issue, and I said, well, you know first we've got to understand the culture at that time. He goes, no, 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 no. I don't have to understand that. I just go to the Bible for my answers, and I said yes. But in order to better understand the Bible, we have to understand the culture at that time. He goes, nope, nope, that's going outside the Bible. That's going outside scripture. And so we had this very interesting conversation, um, albeit one I don't think was very productive. But it was a conversation that that really ended in him thinking that his way of approaching scripture is the only way you can approach scripture. And he was not even going to question that because to even question it was outside the realm of possibility for him. And that's the problem. That's why we need to rethink this because we've, we don't even think we're allowed to rethink this uh, relationship that we have with the Bible. We don't even think that it's okay. It's, it's, we've been taught that's not permissible to do. And when you, when you live in an environment like that, of course, you're not going to learn. Of course, you're not going to grow. You're terrified. You're being constantly told, well, you can't question. And so that's, that's why we need to question. We need to make sure we're taking the Bible on its own terms and not just the way we want it.
0: The biggest problem with that approach is that it's so easy to miss the point of scripture. Yeah. It's so easy to miss the point whenever you you take it that way because whenever you're reading scripture without any regard to its context, without any regard to accommodation and what accommodation means, without any regard to all of those things, we in inevitably lose sight of the forest for the trees. We get so focused on whether or not women should cut their hair or wear a head covering, whether or not we need one cup on the Lord's table when we observe the communion or whether we can have multiple smaller cups. You know, we lose, Remember, we focus on those things and we nitpick about this practice and that practice weekly communion and, you know, food in the church building, whether or not we can have a kitchen, you know all of this nonsense that has divided the churches of Christ and that doesn't even get into you know interdenominational differences that doesn't even get into atonement theories and other things we we focus on those things because the way I'm reading the bible is simple it's straightforward and god wouldn't create a document that would be confusing or that would be yeah. hard to read we get so focused on that we miss the point and the purpose of scripture
1: yeah, and I spend the first five chapters in my book not even talking about the Bible itself, but talking about the ways in which Christians have approached the Bible and all of the interpretive pluralism and the interpretive diversity that exists. I mean, we've got over 45,000 Christian denominations right now in the world, 45,000. And, uh, I, and I break that number down and explain what that survey, how, that, how it defines a denomination. But even if you just look at coming from our background right the church of christ you have multiple denominations within the church of christ denomination you have the one cup denomination you have the mainstream denomination you have the non institutional denomination you have the and we said so we don't like denominations that's exactly what a denomination is <laughs> i mean when would you it's define a subgroup. what a yeah. Nom- yeah i mean that's that's what it is and you know when i when i started to change i had all these people tell me well no you need to come back i said well I'm having different people tell me to come back. I said, if I come back to your group, other people in the Church of Christ will say, I haven't come back to the Church of Christ. If I come back to their group, you're going to say, I haven't come back to the Church of Christ. Which one's the right one? And so I spend a, a section and I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I was going to include this in the body of the book or if I was going to put it as an end note. I decided to put it in the body of the book because um, only me and one other guy were the ones like, yeah, let's put it in the end notes. Everybody else was like, no, no, put it in the body. In fact, more of my conservative friends who are still in the Churches of Christ said put this in the body because they said it really challenged them. I put a list over 113 different issues in the Churches of Christ in which I've experienced splits, whether those were official congregational splits, individual splits, but where. One member of the Churches of Christ condemned another member of the Churches of Christ for not agreeing on a specific topic. And this is not just disagreeing. I'm not talking about just people who disagree. We all know people disagree all the time. This is talking about people who actually dogmatically judged, drew lines, condemned, disfellowshipped, excommunicated, whatever you want to call it, over uh, these issues. And so I I address just, uh, like I said, I think about 113 in my book, and there's actually more. Um, that that I could have listed, but it was just getting to the point where it was pretty stupid just to keep going down the list. I, I think people got the point. I mean, it was like getting to be so ridiculous, but that's the point. That's yeah. the point is that the Church of Christ says, "Oh no, there's all these denominations. Well, just just go to the Bible. Just go to the Bible and do what it says." Well, guess what, Church of Christ? That's what we've been doing. We've got more division than any other denomination out there. So so the people who just go to the Bible are coming away with vastly different things. And I'm not saying that to attack anybody. I'm simply saying that this is reality. This is the way it is. And that's why I wanted to put these 113 issues, because in case anybody called my bluff and said, well, Kevin says there's a lot of division in the churches of Christ, but he's he's just overdoing it. I wanted to go ahead and list those issues out. And by the way, I don't think anybody's going to say I'm overdoing it. In fact, some people are like, well, probably you're underdoing it a little bit. Because each congregation at this point is so divided. And once again, I'm not just picking on the churches of Christ because that is how Christendom is right now as a whole. I mean, it's yeah. so dogmatically divided, combatively divided. It's not just we disagree. It's we disagree and you're wrong and I'm right and you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven and you need to change. It's that kind of disagreement. It's this combative disagreement. And uh, and and so the point that I'm making here. And the point that I make in my book is that it's not enough just to say, oh, there's all this division. Well, this division can be cleared up if we just go to the Bible and do what it says. I actually prove that the division cannot only not be cleared up by doing that, but (laughs) it is because people have that mentality that there is so much division. Because everyone believes, well, I'm going to go to the Bible and do what it says, and everybody comes away with different understandings of what that means. And so when you're dogmatic and you're combative, that's only going to cause division after division after division after division after division. I mean, the churches of Christ even right now are so divided. There are so many churches of Christ within the churches of Christ, and some don't fellowship others. I mean, it's so convoluted right now. And the same thing is true with Christianity as a whole. I have a whole chapter called The Convoluted State of Christianity. Um, I I I know Christians are those who claim Christianity, and they believe nothing like I believe. I mean, I, I you know we are so far on the spectrum. I mean, I know Christians who um, who have s- so many conflicting views from one another. It's it's nothing. They're basically living two different religions. The only thing this is the same is the name. um, yeah. you know, they both claim Christianity. I get to the point where I've heard some people say that we should start using the word Christianities because there's so many different kinds of Christian, Christianities right now. There's not just one kind, there's so many. And so I've heard people use that. And I think that that's a, um, you know, honestly,
0: I a think suitable that's a moniker.
1: Yeah. Because you almost yeah. have to say, well, what kind of Christian are you? Are you, are you the we-want-to-kill-our-enemies kind of Christian? Are you the tongue-speaking, rolling-on-the-floor kind of Christian? Are you the we're all the only ones going to heaven kind of Christians? Are you the we-don't-cut-our-hair kind of Christians? Are you the we-love-people Christians? Are you the we-hate-people Christians? Are you the, I mean, there's like basically, there's there's any, there, there's any anything you can find out there. And so we have to be honest with that. But we also have to be honest to say that these interpretations have come from people going to the Bible and all of these people have book, chapter, and verse to back what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying that they're properly interpreting it or that they're properly applying it, but they think they are, and they are going to their Bible to to reach their conclusions, even if we disagree with them.
0: And that right there makes the point that the point has been missed. The purpose of Scripture has been missed because that is the focus. That tends to be the focus throughout Christendom, as you just said, is we're focusing on what we have read. This is what I have read. This is what the Bible teaches. This is how you apply it. And then you have my brother or my sister over here says, oh, no, 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 no. This is what it says. This is what it means. This is how you apply it. And in that, we have missed the point of Scripture. We've missed the purpose of Scripture, which is to reveal to us God manifest in Jesus Christ. We have missed the point of, of Jesus being the central figure of Scripture we have missed the point of Jesus being the author and finisher of our, of our faith, that Jesus is the central figure that is supposed to unite all of us together, even in the face of our doctrinal disagreements. But we miss that because we get so focused on the Bible itself. We've been blinded by the Bible, Aha, see what I did there, to the person of Jesus Christ. And what what's wild is that and i want to i want to kind of circle back around to something we were talking about earlier you know we were talking to you had mentioned the conversations that we have had with people that that we've had conversations with people that say well you know you just you read the bible and you just do what it says and you know what you're describing about literary context and cultural context and social context and all of these other contexts from which the Bible emanates which are embedded within scripture itself you're saying that you need to understand these things to better understand and the Bible—that's just too much. Like that, just that, just this new approach. And I've I've had conversations where people have said, "Your new hermeneutic, this new hermeneutic, this new approach to Scripture." Well, it's just too much. I just, you know, it's hard for me to believe that God would have created a a book that requires that much digging in order to extrapolate the meaning from it. But the irony is, is that this isn't a new approach to Scripture. What you propose in your book is not new. No, By taking not at all. No, by taking a Christocentric approach, by looking at Jesus as the central figure of the Bible, and by understanding the Bible within its own context, that's not a new approach at all. This more simplistic approach is actually the newer, more modern approach, is it not?
1: Yeah, Irenaeus or um, Irenaeus, depends on how you want to pronounce it. I'm from Alabama, so I don't know. But, uh, he, you know, <laughs> don't lose your water there, Lee. Uh, you know, he was an early church father. He was early Christian in the second century. And I mean, this is, this is what he, he proposed, is that we, we have to understand Scripture. And this is well before the canon was even created, the New Testament canon. His point is we have to understand the text of Scripture and what the apostles wrote based upon what Jesus said that Jesus is is how we understand the Bible. Our faith in Jesus and looking at Jesus as Lord, He is the one that we have to understand Scripture through and alongside with. And so it's not enough just to say, well, we go, we, ha- we want to be biblical. No, my goal, and, and, and you can quote me on this, my goal is to not be, my, I don't care about being biblical. <laughs> and, and I want to say this very clearly, just in case people did not hear it. I do not care whether I'm being biblical. In fact, I sometimes want to make sure I'm not being biblical. Because being biblical oftentimes, yes, oftentimes means that I'm not being Christ-like. And yeah. if, if people are wondering about this, th- I talk about this in my book. Uh, there's a lot of examples I give. Uh, one such example is when James and John see people who are rejecting Jesus in Luke. And uh, Luke accounts, for, or the Gospel of Luke talks about this in uh, Luke 9, I believe. And they say, hey, let's, let's call down fire, just like Elijah did, and let's, let's destroy them all. So they, they're, they're being biblical. They have book, chapter, and verse. They're being bibliocentric. They're being Bible centered, text centered. And Jesus said, You don't understand what spirit you are. I didn't come to destroy, I came to save. So even though they were being biblical they had a book chapter and verse to back what they were wanting to do jesus said you're not being christ like so you can be biblical without being christ like i mean the the whole point of the mount of transfiguration is to show jesus is the one we need to be listening to not the law, not the prophets, and let's even let's even bring this into to New Testament times or past New Testament times, post New Testament times. I think today, if many of us saw Peter and Paul and Jesus, we'd say, "Hey, let's make a tabernacle, put Peter, Paul, and Jesus up there," and Paul and Peter would disappear, and God would say, "This is my son, hear him." And when people listen to what I'm saying, they go, "Oh, so you think Jesus is against Paul or Peter or the or, or Moses and?" The prophets and Elijah. No, not at no, all. No,
0: it's a misappropriation. That, of that, is, that is. That's a, what people are going to say, though. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, and that's what people say. Oh, you just say we just listen to what Jesus says and ignore the rest of the Bible. No, what I'm saying is we have to understand the Bible through Jesus. How, at the point when Jesus came to earth, how are they to understand the Old Testament at that point in time through Jesus? And even when someone came to Jesus with a book, chapter, and verse, Jesus didn't say, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Jesus said, no, no, no. This is now how you're supposed to understand this. You've been misunderstanding what the text is all about. This is how you're supposed to understand. This is what you're supposed to do. So all of these things ultimately tell us about Jesus and point to Jesus. And so it's important to, when we're deconstructing, that we don't just deconstruct and leave nothing in its place. We have to replace. And that's why... I talk in my book about what I call a Christocentric, attitudinal, hermeneutic, or approach to Scripture. That simply means Christ-centered attitudes. That That is what the Bible is there for. It is to point us to Jesus— be Christ-centered. Jesus is to point us to the type of attitudes, the person, the people we are to be. It is not about rituals. It is not about a laundry list of do's and don'ts. It is about a way of life, and and that's manifested through the fruit of the Spirit. John 15, 16 through 17, Jesus said, here's what I've appointed my disciples to do. Love one another and bear fruit. It's an attitudinal approach and application to scripture and we'll have to do another episode where I go into a lot more detail because we you know I did write a book on it but we'll have <laughs> we'll, we'll have to go into detail because this changes the game completely yeah um, we discuss this a little bit with baptism you know I don't go to the Bible and say well Bible talks about baptism I guess I have to do that I want to look at what are the Christocentric attitude uh, attitudinal models that are presented in Scripture like what does Jesus teach what are those attitudes when I look at the love ethic and the fruit of the spirit, which that includes love, because the first fruit of, of the spirit listed, which, by the way, it's not different fruits, right? There's one fruit and it has all of these attributes to it. So that's why I say it's a manner of life. It's a way to be. Yeah, love, a lifestyle. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And the word faithfulness can also be really better understood in that context as trustworthiness, gentleness, and self-control. That... There's your salvation list, by the way. People say, well, what's your salvation list? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and so There it is right there. You want it? That's that's the salvation list of issues if you want them right there. It's not instrumental music. It's not one cup. It's not modesty. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so... Um, I'll, I, I'll go into great detail about that in my book, but I would like later on for us to do a podcast specifically on that
0: because it is, yeah, a we need to
1: way of looking at scripture because the goal, the goal of scripture and, and, you know, I have, once again, I have this in my, in my book as well, but the, the Christocentric attitudinal application of scripture can be summed up this way. The objective of Christianity is not for Christians to try and live by the ancient cultural assumptions and worldviews of the Bible, nor is it to be governed by every situational restriction and mandate found in Scripture. Instead, the goal of Christianity is for Christians to bear the fruit of the Spirit and imitate the love ethic of Jesus in our current cultures, civilizations, and circumstances. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And people go, well, what about? That's what it's about. That's what that that's what it's all about. Does that change a lot of things? Absolutely. It changes a lot of things. Um, but I am firmly convinced that that this is not only the right approach, but I believe it is a much healthier approach. And it's really the only approach to scripture that I have been able to find. Once again, I didn't create this. This isn't something that um, as far as the specific uh, language is concerned, I, I did put this together to make it easier to say, just a Christocentric attitudinal approach, but the concepts have been there since the beginning of Christianity. In fact, I say the concept was there with Jesus. I think this is what he taught, Um, and this is what Paul emulated, and this is what we have constantly seen reflected throughout the years. This is the one thing that has remained consistent are the attitudes love. These are the things that are timeless. These are the things that remain true. These are the things that are objective. These are the things that don't change. Uh, These are the things that are to be applied in in, in all places and at all times. There's not a single time in the Old or New Testament throughout history where it was okay not to do these things. And when there are instances in the Old Testament where it seems like that may be the case, I believe Jesus comes on the scene and he corrects their misunderstanding on some of those texts um and so once again this is objective and that's a problem i had with the other approach it was too postmodern for me and people hear that and I'm like what are you talking i say it was too postmodern being in the church of christ was too postmodern um you know this idea that i'm smart enough just to go to the bible read it and always come to the right answers it, it was it's too arbitrary to think that right. you know everybody who just studies is always going to come away it was very individualistic it was very entitled and that's why you have these divisions, because you go to the Bible, Lee, I go to the Bible. We both study and come to a different conclusion on some sort of you know topic. And guess what? We can't fellowship one another because you're wrong. And you're going to look yeah. at me and say, well, Kevin, I can't fellowship you because you're wrong. And I'll say, no, 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 I'm smart. I went to the Bible and did what I was supposed to. I studied. And you go, well, Kevin, I went to the Bible. I'm smart. And I went to the Bible and do what I'm supposed to. And, and, and this is why there's so much division right now among Christianity. And so... De- denominationalism, by the way, I'm not saying that this is going to fix um, diversity. What I'm saying is this is actually going to include diversity into Christianity. There's a difference between division and diversity. Yeah. Diversity are when things are different. Division is when one is combative and when one is dogmatic about the differences. And And we all, by the way, all Christians live in some form of diversity already. I'm simply saying we need to extend that out a whole lot more, and what we need to unite on, or is the Christocentric attitude, uh, attitudinal approach that I present in Scripture, which once again is is loving one another. It's just it's the fruit of the Spirit. I mean that's all it is: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control, as as exemplified and demonstrated by Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the one who defines how these things play out, and I bring that up in my book quite a bit too. Well,
0: and it's. I really like how you put that, and I had things that that I was going to add during that, but man, you hit pretty much everything that I was going to say. <laughs> whenever you were describing how this isn't really a new approach, how this really isn't something that's that's brand new or off the beaten path, and I really like how what you said there at the very end in in that particular in this particular little section of our of our talk this diversity that exists, it's already there. It's just, it, it's, it has a very narrow scope and we have allowed our interpretive strategies and, and, and thinking about this as a postmodern problem, I never had thought about it that way because postmodernism is the boogeyman that you hear you know bandied about in the pulpit oftentimes. And I know it's something that I always heard about. Oh, there's no truth. There's no objective truth. There's just go, but this is the truth. But the problem is, is that the statement is is it's not just well well we go to the bible and we derive truth from it it's we go to the bible and my interpretation of the bible encompasses all of truth yeah and how can you know that that's the case who told you to borrow a phrase from from our bro- dear brother Patrick Meade who told you that that was the way you need to read the bible who told you that that's what that passage means who told them that and who told them that and on and on and on it goes but like you said you know against those fruits of the spirit the fruit of the spirit there is no law against love there is no law you can never go wrong with loving god and loving your neighbor as yourself you never go wrong with that but whenever we allow our dogmatism to get in the way we're not truly loving our neighbor as ourselves we're not loving our brethren the way we ought to love them when we become so dogmatic we just cut them off at the knees and have nothing to do with them at all that's no approach that that can further the good of the kingdom in in any way
1: yeah, no. And going back to the idea of postmodernism, <clears throat> you know, that was the problem within the approach that I took to scripture within the churches of Christ. And, and uh, I mean, once again, I don't want to just pick on churches of Christ, this is any fundamentalist group, usually. Um, it, it was so subjective that you know okay well what is it is it one cup is it one is it you know head coverings is instrumental music wrong and it was always changing like if you look at the churches across today it's 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 always changing so i'd go to one church and they'd be like well we don't think instrumental music's right inside of worship but it's okay outside of worship if even if a worship song uh, you can do it outside of worship <clears throat> but then i go to another congregation and I'd go no it's wrong to, to do it inside or outside of worship and and it's so convoluted you can't even there's nothing to hang on to There's absolutely nothing to hang on to because the second I go to a different church of Christ, they're going to say, oh, that's not the way we do it here. We do it this way. we We have predicated unity on subjective dogmas that have consistently changed throughout history. I mean, the church looks nothing like it did 500 years ago. Two hundred years ago, the church looks. The church two hundred years ago looked nothing like it did seven hundred years ago, and and can, you can continue on. Even the church today looks different in other parts of the world. When I say the church, I'm talking about Christendom as a whole, and so it's very different. It's reflective of its culture, and it always has been. It's it's adaptive, and it always has adapted. What is the same? This is what is so powerful about a Christocentric attitudinal approach. It does not change. There is never going to be a time in which it's okay not to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Show me a time when that's ever going to be okay. That's not situational. All these other little dogmas, they change, man. They change from time to time. Like Patrick me talked about the Lord's Supper. I don't know of a single church right now other than some home churches who are doing the Lord's Supper like it, like they did it in the first century. We've adapted. We're reflective of our fast food culture, right? We're, we yep. don't want to, we don't want to have to get together and go to somebody's house and have a meal for the Lord's supper. I want you to tell me the least amount of grape juice you can fit in the, <laughs> and, and, and barely, we can't even copy. I mean, put it in I the mean, thimble. Just put a little thimble of grape juice, the sip, the tip and the chip and, uh, or the chip, sip, tip and, and put it, you know, just let's make it as small as it possibly can. We're not doing it. We're not being biblical in that. It changes, and it's going to continue to change. We're always constantly adapting. Should you baptize in running water only? That was a big debate. If, yep. you, if, you, if churches of Christ, talk about baptism. If you're baptizing and you have a baptistry, whoa, now, I don't see that in the Bible. And people all oh, things change. Cultures change. Yeah, they didn't have to have baptistries back then. Well, was it running water? Was it real bodies of water? Oh, that's an expedient. Well, that's not what they would have told you back then. There are some Christians who would have told you years ago that you have you to have, to have, running have water. living water.
0: That's so what they thought al- living water was. Yeah, we've always changed. We've always
1: changed. But the but the love ethic and the fruit of the spirit remains the same. By the way, what did Paul say? All right, love, love is always what remains. And when you look at the scriptures, by the way, Paul himself gives different instructions. I talk about how the, the Bible is very situational. Paul oftentimes gives different uh, instructions on what to do, what not to do, depending upon what church he's talking to, even within the, the New Testament. G- Paul says uh, different things and because he's talking to different audiences. But one thing he, he always does is he gives these attitudinal absolutes. So when someone asks me, Well, what's absolute, Kevin? Do you believe in absolutes? My answer is absolutely. I believe in attitudinal absolutes. I do not believe in ritualistic absolutes. No. I do not believe that these different rituals and and, and by the way I know people are going to disagree with me on this, but you can't ignore they've always changed throughout history and they will always continue to change. We're on a we are we are now more on a changing trajectory than we've ever been. And that's saying a lot because the church has changed a whole lot in the past 2000 years. But if it is if if Christianity is all about having the same rituals and everybody agreeing on everything, it, it's, it's so nonsensical at this point. I mean, it's so naive to think, well, if everybody just goes to the Bible, they're always going to come to the same conclusion. Yes, we will come to the same conclusion if we, if we understand the Bible is about Jesus, and if we understand that our goal, <laughs> the end game, the purpose, is to bear fruit and to love one another. And if, if we understand that, people say, what about loving God? How do we love God? What does Jesus say? If you've done it, what? And to the least of these, you've done it to me. The way that we manifest our love for God is the way in which we treat one another. Even John said, how can you say you love God when you've never even seen God? How can I love somebody I've never seen? You know, people talk, oh, well, you love God. You lo-. How do I love God? How, how in the world? God is, is someone I've never seen. This intangible, how in the world can I love God? By the way you treat one another. And that's what, that's what even Jesus said. People are confused. They're like, well, Jesus, I never saw you. I didn't give you any water. Jesus said, no, no, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. When you love one another, when you treat others the way you want to be treated, when you do no harm to your neighbor, when you bear the fruit of the Spirit, you are loving God. That's why Jesus said everything can be reduced down to love God and love neighbor. And by the way, love God and love neighbor is you love yourself. We have to love ourselves as well. We don't teach self-love in Christianity, right? We teach self-deprivation. Basically, yeah. most of us are like, well, you're crap. You know, <laughs> you're pathetic. <laughs> Good thing, you know, God saved you from the horrors of hell, you piece of junk. Well, if <laughs> that's what I think about myself, well, then you're a piece of junk, Lee. So how am I going to—I I have to learn to love myself. I have to realize—I have to, to, to change— the way I see things through the lens of Jesus Christ. I've got to look like Jesus. I've got to read like Jesus. I've got to relate to scripture like Jesus. I've got to love like Jesus. It's a Christocentric, attitudinal approach to scripture. Uh, I believe it's valid. I believe that it's consistent. And it's the only thing that has ever made sense to me that I feel like kind of checks all the, the boxes of consistency, if you will. Now, that doesn't mean let me say this before we end. That doesn't mean that everybody, because don't hear what I'm not saying. That doesn't mean I think everybody is going to always see things the same way. What I'm saying is, is that having, because you and I can disagree on a lot of things, but if we have love for one another and bear the fruit of the Spirit, we can still be unified. Yes. Even even if we disagree on worship styles, even if we disagree on certain rituals, even if we disagree, I mean, we, we can practically disagree on so many different things, but... What we can't disagree on is that we are to love one another as Jesus loved. So we have to. It's not just this this uh, you know ambiguous type of love where we can make love hate. You know that's what some Christians do. Well, I love your soul so much. I'm going to torture you until you confess Jesus, like we did in the Inquisition. No, no, no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of love Jesus demonstrated, the kind of love that does no harm. To our neighbors, you know, when someone hurts someone and they say they do it in love, that can't be love. That's not a Christocentric love. Maybe an Americanized version of love, maybe a postmodernized Church of Christ version of love. But it is not a Christocentric version of love because love, the Jesus kind of love, does no harm to its neighbor. Jesus demonstrates what love looks like, and he ultimately did so in the cross. He laid down his life for us. And, and man, now I'm getting to preaching, but I I really, really get into great detail in my book about all of these things.
0: You do brother in this book, it's, it's fantastic. And man, this book is for any Christian that has ever struggled with how to make sense of the scriptures with their own experience. This book is for any Christian that has ever struggled with the process of deconstructing their faith and knowing how, knowing what to reconstruct in its place. Like, where do I even begin in undoing all of this toxic thinking and, and creating something that an edifice that, that actually stands the test of time that actually stands up to scrutiny. And that actually is consistent. This is a book for people who have, who have struggled like you've struggled. This is for people who have struggled like I've struggled. This is a book for people who are curious this is a book for people who maybe they're not in a in a sea change at the moment. This is a book for people who are curious, for people who wonder, maybe there's a different way that I can do this. Maybe there's a better way forward. This is a book for any Christian who has wondered, why does the Bible function the way it does in our modern day and time? And is there a better approach to it? This is a book that I, brother, I have no doubt it is going to bless and touch so many people. It's going to help so many people. And for that reason, folks help us get the word out about it. It really is fantastic. It's a really, really, really good book. And it's, it's been worth the wait, in my opinion, Um, some of the best ways that you can help get the word out folks share Share this book on Facebook, share it on social media, tell your friends about it. One of the best ways that you can help get the word out about this book, though, is going on Amazon and leaving a five-star review and writing a review for the book if you've read it. I'm not going to ask you to write a review for the book if you have not read it, but go Get the book, write a five-star review for it. Leave a five-star review. That helps with uh, the algorithm. It helps give this book more visibility on Amazon's bookstore, and it's going to help it get in front of more people, people like me, people like Kevin, people like you that are listening that have struggled with these ideas and these concepts that we've spent over two years discussing on our podcast and that Kevin spends over 200 pages talking about in his new book. Those are some of the best ways that you guys can help get the word out about this book. Share it with people far and wide and give it that five-star review on Amazon. That's going to go a long way to help. And Kevin, are there some other ways as we wrap this up that people can help get the word out?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, just first of all, of course, buying it, uh, letting other people know about it. If you cannot afford a copy, if you live in a different country where it's not available, it is available in all the Amazon marketplaces. So I know we have some friends in Australia down under. It is available there on Amazon. Um, you know, it's it's available in, in several different countries. Um, so I, I it's it's available as as far and wide as I possibly can make it available on Amazon and then, of course, through Kindle uh, as well—not just paperback, but also through Kindle. Um, I, I did want to make a quick mention on about Kindle before we wrap up. So, if you've never published a book um, through Kindle or through Amazon, you know the the paperback. I recommend the paperback, and I, I just to make it very clear, I don't recommend the paperback because I get more money. I don't. Um, it's the paper. The paperback is better because there's some charts and the spacing is going to be consistent. When it converts over to Kindle, Kindle has three different formats. And so it uses tablet, it uses iPhone, and it also is computer screen. The problem is, is that there's different computer screens. Uh, there's different types of iPhones. And it, as long as, you know, we, we can make it look good on one but inevitably will not look good on another, <laughs> which means some of the charts are broken up. You can, I mean, you can still understand what they say, but a lot of the footnotes are going to have spacing that we can't help. Um, so if you do run across that, we, we do understand that that's there. Um, we have done everything we can. It's just simply uh, what we have to work with. Um, it's it's impossible. We would have to go through and reformat in every single you know different combination of ways. And you actually can't, do that. At least I don't have the capability of doing that because you can only submit it in one way. We looked at trying to submit it in different ways through Kindle. You can't, you can only submit it in one way. So I'm just saying that because it was a little frustrating to me when I was reading it on Kindle because I'm like, man, why are there's like extra spacing here? And why is this, it's not this way in the paperback. That's, that's why. And so I just want to make note that if you are an avid Kindle person, uh, especially if you can get it for free on Kindle Unlimited, I'm not going to, I don't want to discourage you from doing that. Please, by all means, do. Just realize that the, the optimal experience is going to be, uh, it's, it's going to be the paperback in my opinion, um, just because of the, the formatting and the spacing and the charts and those types of things. Um, but also, um, you know, this book is something that I hope will be a resource as well that, well, Lee, you and I talk about a lot of these things, and even I have already actually now that I have a paper copy, I've actually gone back to it myself just in the past few days, and be like, "What was that point, or where was that at again?" Um, because there's over 400 footnotes in the book as well. Yeah, and so there's 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 a lot of resources, and so I, I it's not just going to be a book. Hopefully that you read and go, oh, "Yeah, well, I appreciate the book, and that was it." It's something that I hope will help. When you, you know, you need to continuously go back to it, all that information will be there for you in one volume. And so it's, it's, that's why I like talking a lot more than I like writing because it's a lot easier. Yeah. You know, instead of having to listen to the past two years of our episodes, you can just go to one volume and have a lot of this information there. Um, and it's in a lot, uh, you know, it's a cleaner, <laughs> not all the sloppiness that goes, uh, goes along with us talking back and forth. With the long times. form
0: podcast. Yeah.
1: yeah um, you know, and so it's also something I tried not to be antagonistic at all because that's not my goal. And even on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, and you
0: weren't. You were not at all in this book. You get fired up a lot of times on the podcast. And sometimes <laughs> I can see some people might construe it that way, but we really do make an effort to not be antagonistic on our show. You're not antagonistic at all in your book. I don't see how anybody could take that away after reading your book in every iteration.
1: Well, and, there, and there's some points that you, you just have to po- point out. I mean, I don't get personal in the book. I'm not upset. Obs- if anybody, same thing in my last book, I'm talking about myself. I was a big part of the problem. Problem. And it was it was a system problem, right? It's a systemic problem. And you know, when you look at legalism, that's the issue. When you look at fundamentalism, when you look at these approaches to scripture, biblicism, whatever you want to call it, th- these are the issues. And I'm fired up about it because I know the damage it caused in my life. I know the damage it caused in so many people's lives, and still is causing. And I want to get this out to as many people as possible, just to let them know there is an alternative way. To understand Scripture, not only an alternative way, but of course, just like anybody uh, who writes a book, they think their way is right. Um, you know, I clearly think this way is is right, and I'm not saying right in the sense of I'm I'm not wrong on anything, but that the framework. I think I think the I think it is important you get it's your framework.
0: a more solid framework. Um, yeah. yes,
1: yes. And you know, this does not mean I'm always going to come to the right conclusions on everything or having this framework means that, you know, now going to the Bible everybody's going to come to the same linear conclusions. I have friends who agree who are very conservative who have changed and they have this we have the same framework for viewing scripture but we still come to different conclusions on specific issues, but yet we're still able to thrive together, to be unified together because we are unified on Jesus, loving one another and bearing the fruit of the spirit. And that's another reason why, because this works, it really does work. And when you're, when you've been in a system that doesn't work, it doesn't function. It's not functional. It's not practical. It's not even possible the way that we did it. It was impossible. This is functional. It's practical. Yes. But it's but it but it it's it's and it's even in the truest sense, Lee, it is. uh, I jokingly, you know, earlier, well, I didn't jokingly. I said my goal is not to be biblical and it's not in the way that we have always talked about it. But if we have a proper understanding, I think. Being biblical really means being
0: Christocentric. (laughs) <laughs> it means being like Jesus. So
1: being Christocentric doesn't mean being biblical. Being biblical means being Christocentric. And so if yes. we say, if we want to talk about being biblical that way, sure, I have no problem saying that. You know, yeah, we we can be biblical in the truest sense, which means being Christocentric. But if we just mean having a book, chapter, and verse, no, I, I don't think that that's what Christianity is about at all. I don't think that's that's any any shape, form, way, or shape or form of what Christianity is about.
0: Well Jesus himself said you'll know them by their fruits. You know if a tree, you know a tree by the fruit it bears. And the fruit that has been born of that approach to scripture has not been good fruit. It has been the fruit of division, it's been the fruit of strife, it's been the fruit of animosity towards other Christians, towards fellow believers. It's not a healthy approach. No. Focusing on Jesus, focusing on the fruit of the spirit and manifesting that in life focusing on love and making that the primary driving ethic behind everything else and and i think it should be said there's nothing wrong with having convictions on particular rituals and how they no, are executed not. there's nothing wrong with that at yeah. all we're all going to have different perspectives on that but we can't let it get in the way of our unity in christ and i think that Dude, your book is a great jumping off point for that philosophy, but we've we've gone longer than I know you wanted to. I know you had a particular time you wanted to keep this to, and we have surpassed that, as it seems like we do. But uh, yeah, as we wrap this up, brother, I just want to give you kudos again, man. The work you've done in this book is fantastic. It's extremely well written. It's extremely digestible. It's easy to read. It's easy to understand. And being able to write something that is easy to read and understand on a topic this complex and this deep, that's no small feat. And I think you accomplished it with aplomb. You did a great job.
1: And I just want to give a shout out to Daniel Rogers because he has helped a lot with uh, formatting and uh, pointing me in the right direction as far as the publishing and those types of things. And so he is... I know he's glad that this book is done too, because I would call him and be like, Hey, I need help with this. Hey, can you help me with this? Hey, I've got a question about this. When are you going to be able to have this done? So I know he's probably glad it's over, but I just wanted to give him a shout out because he's awesome. And if you are looking at writing a book, talk to Daniel Rogers, he'll be able to help format it for you and uh, can help you in that process. And so if, if you, if you are interested uh, because, you know, I, my goal is to get as many people writing as possible who like to write and who have stories to tell, because it's time we start telling our stories. It's time to just yes. people need to know, know they're not alone. And it's time for us to start putting out this type of material, I believe. That's going to point because because I mean, look, we're getting Christianity right now, at least the 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 group that I came from. And once again, when I say churches across, I'm talking about all churches across because. Once again, the churches across so divided <laughs> it can mean different things. But the ma- mainstream conservative churches across that I uh, I was a part of for many years, there's so many within that group. Their their philosophy, man, is is so dangerous, and it's the same philosophy I had. It's a philosophy of hate. And people are like, oh no no you can't say that about everybody. No, I can't. I can't say that about everybody. But I was literally taught to hate people who disagreed with me. Not in that those terms. I was never said you have to hate. We called it love. But as one of my professors used to say, boy, you better run when somebody says they're coming to you in love. <laughs> they said a Christian said, because if you look at all the atrocities committed throughout the years, the abuse, the oppression, the, all the people who, who were, were slayed and murdered, um, you know, it was all done in love, quote unquote. And there are many preachers that I know who are, who are teaching a hate theology, but they're calling it love. And, uh, and it's so dangerous, man. And it's so dangerous. And I was, by the way, very close, um, to, to really just continue. Well, I was, I was on that road. I was already a part of that. Um, not to the extent that some of the preachers I have in mind are, are at, but, um, it is, it is at the point where we have got to start teaching a Christocentric love. We have to. We have to because things are so it's just getting out of hand uh, with Christianity right now. And so for those people out there who are like, I don't know if I can identify with Christianity. I don't I, I don't either. I can't identify with modern day, Americanized, conservative Christianity. I can't. I don't think that's even true Christianity. I'm not saying they're lost, but that's not a Christocentric uh, lifestyle. And so anyway, I, I'm just going on some tangents right now. But <laughs> <laughs> but the but the point is, is that, you know, at the end of the day, my goal, I wanted to give that shout out to Daniel, but my goal is to is to help people who were in the same position that I was in. Maybe not you maybe not a minister, but you had so many questions, you didn't know where to turn, you didn't even know if you could keep your faith or not. And in my mind, at least I have figured out a way to still be a Christian, to still have a a very good relationship with scripture. And to still believe the Bible's inspired by God and to to, to believe all of those things um, while maintaining intellectual honesty, while not having to create cognitive dissonance or confirmation bias or any of those things. I have been able, at least in my mind, to be able to do those things. And so if you're wanting to hold on to faith, but you feel like you're having to be dishonest in the process— there, I believe there is a way that you can be both honest to the observable world around us, to Scripture itself, while still maintaining your faith.
0: Yeah, and your book, it discusses that and so, so, so much more. So, folks, there's a link in the show notes. Click that link, go over there, buy you a paperback copy. If you have Kindle, get it on Kindle. If you have Kindle Unlimited, get it on that. In any case, though, if you read that book and it moves you, please give it that five-star review on Amazon and write a review if you feel so compelled. That's going to help this book get out in front of more people quicker than anything else. Also, while you're at it, give us a five-star review on iTunes for our podcast. Share this podcast far and wide because Kevin and I want this to succeed, and it has been successful so far beyond what either, either he or I could have ever imagined. And it's growing. We are growing every single month. And it's because of you guys continuing to listen and giving us feedback on where we can improve, giving us ideas on things we can discuss and by sharing this podcast with other people. Thank you all so much. We appreciate you all. If you ever need us, if you ever want to reach out to us, you can always holler at us through email. That's in the show notes too. Thank you all so much. And we'll see you all soon.